You can open up your Bibles to Proverbs, and it's hard to exactly say where we're going to be, so I find myself between Proverbs 18 and 19 and 20. So if you're somewhere around there, you'll probably hit at least half of the references, but you can also jot them down. Um, we'll turn to a few of them, but not to all of them. I'll read, I'll read you some of them, and some of them I'll have us turn to, but hey, let's pray. And ask God to help us understand his word even more in our hearts. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this time we get to gather around. We uh, thank you that we're not just gathering around ourselves and our own opinions, but we're here to gather around and have fellowship uh, concerning your word and how you have spoken to us. You've spoken to us about the delights and joys and prizes of friendship, but you've also spoken to us in your word about the dangers of friendship. And I pray that we would have willing ears to hear and hearts to evaluate our own our own lives, and our own friendships through your word. And I pray that as a result, um, our lives would more uh, reflect you and your glory and what you want to do in us. And as a consequence, many people would see your glory through us and turn and be saved. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We all wish for the kinds of friendships that we often see in our world, especially in movies. Those friendships look really cool, right? Who doesn't want a friendship like Phineas and Ferb? <laughs> I mean, you'll never have a boring day in summer if you've got a friendship like that. The friendship of Maverick and Goose, perhaps, you want. I don't know if I want, because I'll probably end up being the dead guy in that scenario. <laughs> Who doesn't want a friendship like the beautiful friendship shared by Spongebob and Patrick? Who doesn't want that friendship? Who doesn't want a friendship like Peter Parker and, and Ned? Who doesn't want that? I don't. Because <laughs> once again, in that scenario, never mind. Okay. Uh, but we've got to be clear here. Friendships are great and they're glorious things and they're a prize. A, a, friend, a friend is truly a prize of life. It's, it's something to be valued, and if you are a good friend, you are going to be someone that is going to be valued in the lives of others. Um, but we should be clear that not all good friendships are good friendships. Uh, just, because, just because it's a, a close friendship does not mean it's a good friendship. For example, last week I, I quoted from uh, Deuteronomy 13 verse 6, defining a friendship as a bond of the soul. But what I didn't tell you last week was the context of that verse is very negative. The, the verse actually talks about, hey, if you've got family members, brothers or sisters or neighbors or a friend who is a bond of your soul, who tells you, let us go serve other gods, you are to even stone him, Right? A friend can be an incredible danger spiritually to you because a friend can have shaping, a powerful shaping influence on your life. And if you're a Christian here tonight, you, you must evaluate your friendships carefully. And you must ask yourself, is this friendship more important to me than believing and obeying Jesus Christ? Because if this friendship is more important than him and believing and obeying him, the friendship is already a dangerous friendship. Remember what it says in Proverbs thirteen twenty: He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the friend of fools will suffer harm. Or you could say it this way, right? A fool will make a fool out of you, right? But a wise man will make you wise. Be very careful in the friendships that you take. And, and we must, must remember, and, and I totally understand this, peer pressure is real. When other people are doing it around you, you will want to do it too. And that's why friendships have an incredible impact. One writer says this, you or we will become like the people that we like. I think that's actually very helpful. You don't become like everybody around you, but you become like the people that you like. And who do you like? Your friends. So be very careful in the friends you choose. But we should also be careful not to say all friendships are alike. There are very 
different kinds of friendships that you will have. And not all friendships are alike, and not all friendships have the same kind of shaping pressure to them. I'm going to give you three categories of friendships. Uh, this is just this is just kind of introductory. So if you if you want to take notes of this, you can. But just three kinds of friends that you will have in your life. You will have the giving kind of friend. You will have the taking kind of friend, and you'll have the giving and taking kind of friend. <laughs> David, you're an idiot. Well, let me just break that down for you. The giving kind of friend. Once again, this is a one-sided relationship. Um, in that the other person does all of the, you know, counseling, the, the speaking, uh, they're, they're the ones talking truth to someone else. It's, it's just a, a giving friendship. You're the one that's kind of older, maybe more mature than that person. So you're the one giving in that situation. This could be, uh, for example, uh, kind of the relationship that a child shares with a parent, the, the the parent is the giving member of that relationship. They're not taking much from you, unless they're foolish. There's another kind of friendship. There's the taking kind. This is, once again, a one-sided relationship in which you, in which, oh, I kind of messed it up. The, the taking friendship in which in which you're the one receiving. You're the one receiving all of the, um, exhortation, all of the counseling, all the encouragement. Um, and, and, and once again, this is probably like the relationship that you would have with a leader or with a parent, but either way, right? One, one person's giving, one person is taking, but then the other kind of friendship, and this is really where you guys probably are with the peers in your life. And those are the, the give and take friendships where you're both kind of in the same situation in life. You're both experiencing the same kinds of things. You both have the same kinds of weaknesses. So you are giving and you are taking. You're both giving each other advice and you're taking advice from each other. C.S. Lewis, I love how he describes friendship. He describes friendship like this. What? You're struggling with this too? That is how a friend thinks. You discover someone that has the same experiences, struggles as you. And you find a connection there. A solidarity there, right? They're not, they're not the ones giving help or needing help. They're the ones in the same situation as you. And there is a trust there and a love there that grows, right? Now, once again, you don't want all of your friendships to be the same, right? If you're only surrounding yourself with give and take relationships, you're all going to be in the same pit struggling to get out and nobody's going to be able to help anybody. But you were made to have those relationships, but these are the closest kinds of relationships. But for that reason, they're also the most influential, those give and take relationships. Those are the ones that can really shape you because you trust the people that remind you most of yourself. Sadly, you trust the people who you believe have feelings like you do about your situation. It's not always a good thing, but that's the way you are. But how can you know if a friendship is, is dangerous, is, is negative? How, how can you know if a friendship uh, possibly has negative, negative things that it could bring into your life? You like this person, but will you like what you become like? How do you know if they are a dangerous friend? Well, thankfully, God doesn't leave us alone in this question. He actually gives us lots of wisdom, particularly in the book of Proverbs, about dangerous friends. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. Last, last week we talked about prized friends, and, and now we're going to look at dangerous friendships. So take, take down some notes here on dangerous friendships. The first kind of dangerous friendship, we'll, we'll, we'll describe this. Uh, beware of the misty friend. Beware of the misty friend. This is the first kind of friend. They are mist-like. Hey, I know how it is. I've been in your shoes. Loneliness is a real deal. Um, some, even at my age, at your age, everybody gets lonely. And some people are so worried about loneliness that they're willing to jump into any and every kind of friendship just to not feel lonely anymore, just to not feel alone. They're willing to have any kind of friend. This last week I was looking up websites that you could actually pay someone to be your friend for a whole hour. 
Now, it gets pricey really quick. You have to pay them between $50 and $100 an hour just to do things that you like to do together. Now, you're going to say that's silly, that's crazy, that's weird, but hey, that's the world we live in. People are so lonely, they are willing to pay someone to act like their friend for a period of time. And I would even say this, you sometimes might be so lonely that you're willing to change things about yourself just to fit in with these friends and to call yourself a friend with lots of friends or, or to claim that you have lots of friends all around you. You have misty friends. It's, it's easy to get misty friends. It's easy to be a misty friend. How can you get misty friends? Well, first off, you call them your friends publicly. Has this ever happened to you? Someone who you don't really know and maybe don't really like that much, like publicly in front of everybody says, that person over there is my best friend. What am I supposed to do? Okay, well, now I'm your best friend, I guess. But because you have publicly proclaimed yourself as friends with me, now I'm your friend. Right? It's easy. It's easy. And I would say even in this group, right, it's easy to get quick friends that way because people in this group will feel guilty and then they'll be nice to you and they'll be kind to you. Hopefully they'll do it for other reasons as well. But that friendship that's just like in name only will be shallow. It'll be based on nothing. And ultimately it'll lead you to being more insecure about that friendship. Are they really my friend? Well, no, because you just called them your friend. That's all you said. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 6 says this. Many a man will call out his own steadfast love. Many, many a man will declare himself to be a friend. But... A faithful man who can find. A real friend who can find. Many, there, are, there are many friends out there in the world, and with the advent of cer- uh, certain social media uh, platforms, you can have thousands of friends. And no friends all at the same time. But it's very easy to get misty friends. Number one, you call them your friends publicly. You may bribe them to be your friends. And you're like, bribe? I would never bribe anybody to be my friend. Well, let me tell you. True story here of David Papillon. My neighbor down the street had um, an N64, which is an old gaming device that you don't understand. But it was really cool. And we played uh, Blitz 2000 on it. It was really fun in his basement. But I was totally only his friend so that I could play that video game. But, I mean, it was kind of a mutual bribery because he only came to my house and was my friend because he liked to jump on the trampoline. So, between the two of us, we were providing services, I guess. I... Yeah, that, that's, that's what it is. Or, or think about this way. Maybe your friends say, for your birthday this year, but only this year, we're bringing you to Six Flags. And we're going to let you invite as many friends as you want. And so you go to youth group, you're like... This is my opportunity. This is my moment. I'm going to get some friends tonight. You say, everybody, free ticket to Six Flags. All you have to do is claim to be my friend. Suddenly, you've got 40 friends, right? That's what happens every birthday party. They're not there for you. They're there for the cake. Sorry. (laughs) Proverbs 19.4 says this, wealth adds many friends. Do you have a lot of things? Friends will come with it. Uh, Proverbs 6, uh, 19, 6 says this, everyone is a friend of a man who gives gifts. Now there's a wisdom principle in that, right? Are you someone who is generous and kind? You'll probably, you'll probably find yourself with more people wanting to be around you. And, and of that pool, you will be able to find better opportunities for friendships. But the, 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 the negative side is if you've got things and if you're willing to give them, you'll find yourself with a lot of friends. And if you're not careful, you'll realize at a unfortunate time that those weren't really your friends at all how are such misty friendships so dangerous though well here's uh, three descriptions of them misty friendships people that are only there in friend uh, name only but not true friends Uh, these kinds of friendships tend to be unreliable we talked about we talked about the commonalities between a bad tooth and a broken leg. They, you, know, you know they exist when? Not when you're sitting on the couch eating Doritos. That's not when they let themselves be known to you, but when you need them most, when you're about to chomp down on that sandwich or when you're about to plant to shoot that epic shot LeBron James style. That's when you know that you have got a bad foot, and that is the way with a treacherous man. He, he lets himself be known. A misty friend will let themselves be known when you need them the most. When you are in pain and hurting and troubled, all you want is a friend, and suddenly all of these misty friends are like what? Like mist, and they disappear. 
They're unreliable. And they're, they're unsatisfying as well. You know they're not really your friends. And so even though they may feel like friends in a moment, you are never satisfied by their friendship. And ultimately they unravel. They will unravel you. They will maybe unravel the moral makeup of your inner being. They will change you so that you can have them as friends. And as a believer, sometimes that means you make compromises. You make compromises just to have friends. For example, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many friends comes to ruin. What does that mean? Why does a man of many friends come to ruin? Or as, as the verse says in Hebrews, gets himself broken. Well, because what did you have to do to amass all those many friends? Unbelievers don't like being friends with Christians eventually. But if you're willing to compromise on everything, if you're willing to not stand for anything, they'll be your friend. But the man who says, or the woman who says, I am going to get friends regardless of what I have to do, they will get themselves broken spiritually, and also they they will not have any true friend to help them in a time of need. So beware of the misty friend. Let's talk about another kind of friend. Beware, secondly, of the dangerous friend. Beware of the dangerous friend. You guys all know this word very well. You're just acting dumb. But the dangerous friend. You guys all know what I'm talking about. Beware of the D-A-N-G-E-R-O-U-S friend. It's in the name dangerous, angry. Sorry. Beware of the angry friend, the dangerous friend. Beware of the angry friend. Why is an angry friend so dangerous? Here, let me give you a few reasons why the angry friend is dangerous. Uh, Number one, anger is the ultimate weakness that a person can have. Anger is weakness spiritually. Uh, Proverbs 16.32, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his own spirit than he who captures a city. Or Proverbs 25.28, Like a city that is broken into and without a wall is a man without restraint over his own spirit. You want to know someone who's mighty, who's strong? That is someone who rules their own spirit. But the opposite is also true. You want to know someone who is ultimately weak? They are someone that has no control over their own spirit. And, and I talked about this when I preached on anger in the service, right? Do, do you remember this, right? An angry person is ultimately the easiest kind of person to manipulate. The, the angry person, everyone can take advantage of because it's very easy to control, i.e. kick off an angry person. As a matter of fact, you, you are ultimately very easy to be manipulated by the devil himself, as it says in Ephesians 4.27, right? Anger gives the devil an opportunity. It gives him room to maneuver in and through your life. Anger is the ultimate weakness. It is making yourself vulnerable to the wishes of anybody else. That is an angry person. But also, anger is dangerous because it is hasty and reactive. Or think about it this way. Anger is slavery to an enslaved world. Anger is enslavement to a world that is enslaved to sin. Because you are... You are reactive in everything you do if you are angry. You are responding to everything. And what are you responding to? You're responding to a world that is enslaved to sin. You will always be reacting. You will always be angry. The angry person is not in control, but controlled by everything that happens in their life. It says in Proverbs 12, 16, an ignorant fool's anger is known at once. There, there's no restraint. There's no filter. Instantly, he explodes. Proverbs fourteen seventeen. A quick-tempered man uh, acts in folly. He, he, he or she just simply acts almost without thinking. 
in foolishness. Proverbs 14, 29, he who is slow to anger has great discernment, but he who is quick-tempered rises, raises up folly. Notice this, when, you're, when your friend is someone who is given to anger, you'll never know a day in your life where there is safety, where there is peace. Hey, you, you'll never know who's going to be the next target. As a matter of fact, you probably will be fearing every single day of your life. Am I going to be the next target? And you will probably make decisions in your life just to appease and please so that your friend does not become angry with you. You'll never say anything truthful to this friend because they will get angry with you. Anger is... The ultimate weakness, anger is hasty and reactive. Anger always leads to evil actions. Psalm 37, 8 says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Evil feelings never stay inside. They always want to do something about their feeling. And with, if you're with someone who is given to anger, you're going to be with someone who is going to be quick to do evil as well. Or how about this one? Anger will make any offense a major offense. Anger will make any offense a major offense. Proverbs 10.12 says, hatred stirs up strife. Proverbs 15.18 says, uh, the hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but, it, but the slow to anger quiets a dispute. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a rash word stirs up anger. This is an angry person. They always want to be mad and up in arms about something, and so they'll even take small things and turn them into big things. Everything offends them. Everything, even the smallest thing, is against them and is therefore high treason to be tried at the highest court. If, if anything crosses them, the whole world to them is ruined. So they'll let you know about it. They can't live unless everyone around them is trying to please them. They will make any offense a major offense. They don't know how to speak a gentle word. They do not know how to quiet a dispute. Everything will be a big deal. Everything will be an explosion. How about this one? Anger will make a fool out of you. Anger will make a fool out of you. Not only the angry person will be made a fool of, but also their friends. So anger, an angry person, an angry friend will make a fool out of you too. Proverbs 19, 19 says, A man of great wrath will bear the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again and again and again. That's not in the Hebrew, but I'm sure that's there. I'm sure it's there. You will keep having to deliver him. You cannot save this individual from bearing the penalty. Even if you pull them out of the hole that they have dug for themselves, they will jump back into the hole again and again and again. Essentially, if your close friendship is with an angry person, you will be in continual, continual peacemaking mode. You'll always be endlessly trying to solve all of their problems for them. And in the end, everybody will say, what a fool both of you were. And, and eventually, an angry friend will ultimately turn you against your other friends in your life as well. Think about this. Anger is also very influential. This is why you want to be careful of angry friends. Proverbs sixteen nineteen says, A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. This is what a man of violence wants. He wants to lead a pack of men of violence or women of violence. They want to get a whole group of girls together to talk and talk and be angry together. That is what an angry person wants. Turn over to Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four. Proverbs twenty-two <clears throat> twenty-four. Look at this vivid picture. It says this: Do not befriend a man of anger. And do not come along with a man of great wrath. 
lest, verse 25, you learn his ways and take on a snare against your own soul. Notice, very interesting description there of what happens to you. You will learn his way, and what will his way be? It will be a snare in your own soul. There's a spiritual danger in anger that you will experience as well. And you will have to drag along with you as well. Uh, You'll become angry too. You yourself will become a landing spot for the devil's uh, base of operations in the world around you, in your family, in your church, in this youth group. That's what an angry person will do to you. They will make you angry. And they will cause a snare for your soul, where suddenly you're tripped up by small offenses. You do not know how to respond with gentleness. You do not know how to quiet a dispute because you are friends with an angry person. But most dangerous of all, when I think of the dangers of anger, is is this final thing I want to share with you. Anger turns you from God rather than to him. Sinful anger turns you from God rather than to God. And here's where we discuss that elephant in the room, if it's an elephant in your mind. What about righteous anger? Well, sinful anger actually turns you from God instead of to Him, and that is why it is so dangerous. Anytime you're moving away from God or acting independent of God, you are in a dangerous position. And this is what anger does. James 1.19 says this, Know this, beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, the context of that passage is perhaps a little tricky, but it seems, based on verse 18 of James 1, to be talking about receiving the actual word of God and getting angry about it, getting angry about the conviction that the word of God is bringing to your life. Ask yourself a question. Is your anger a humble response under the conviction of the word of God against your sin? Or is your anger just a hot response to what you have perceived to be wrong in your life? Or perceived wrongs that you think you have received? Is is your anger a response to your own sin Or is it a response to everybody else's sins around you? Because I would say righteous anger is always first and foremost angry at the thing of sin that you know most about. And that is your own sin. That is where righteous anger first and foremost shows up in your life. If you are angry at your own sin, that is where it is seen the most. Ultimately, a a sinfully angry person, though, that displays a view of God that is most damning. Think about this. An angry person doesn't trust in the justice of God to settle it. No, an angry person says, no, I must handle it, otherwise they'll get away with it. Uh, Proverbs 20:22 says this, do not say I will repay evil, hope in Yahweh and he will save you. An angry person though doesn't trust in the justice of God to settle it. The angry person also doesn't trust in the wisdom of God and in the sovereignty of God in their life. Their life is in their mind outside of God's control, outside of God's wisdom. Why would God make me this way? Why would God put me in this life? Why would God put me in this body? Why would God give me struggling with these feelings or these emotions? Why did God do this? I am angry at God when I question any of these things. God must have gotten me wrong. But that's anger, actually, and it is actually questioning the wisdom and the sovereignty of God. But ultimately, think about this, ultimately, the angry person ultimately thinks that they are God. That's ultimately what the angry person is. Is that the kind of friend you want? Um... Dan Phillips has a great commentary, uh, God's Wisdom in the Proverbs, that I always consult when I'm reading the Proverbs. He says this, To be patient and self-controlled is to be like God. To allow yourself to blow up at slight offenses is to act as if we think we are God. I'll read that again, right? To be patient, to be self-controlled, is to be like God. 
but to allow ourselves to blow up at slight offenses is to act as if we think we are God. That is what an angry person is. And they betray what they think of themselves when they get angry, don't they? I am God. And you need to get low underneath me. You don't want a friend like that. Another dangerous friend we could warn of. Third, beware of the tongue-wagging friend. Beware of the tongue-wagging friend. Of course, here by tongue-wagging, I'm referring to gossip. I'm referring to the person who loves to talk about other people in a negative way. You should beware of these kinds of people. And, and, and notice, when you read about gossip in the Bible, it's not necessarily gossip because it is something true or false about that person. It is just something in the negative light concerning that person. It's slander. It is something that can destroy people, and it can destroy relationships. It says in Proverbs sixteen twenty eight, A perverse man spreads strife. A whisperer separates close friends. Or you could go over, turn over to chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 19. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one of loose lips. Notice the wisdom there. Uh, by that idea, uh, the wisdom first is, is, is uh, notice, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. You should assume that your secrets are next if you go about with a slanderer. Uh, This is a person who is willing to sacrifice any relationship they can. They're even willing to sacrifice the community that they live in, the church or their family, on the altar of the idolatry of having the feeling of close, intimate friends for a rush of a moment of sharing some juicy morsel about someone else. That, that, that is what a slanderer is. They love to reveal secrets. Why? Because it gives them the appearance of friendship with you. But, but they're willing to destroy people and they're willing to destroy relationships to do it. And notice it is all an adultery of themselves. I want to have a friendship. Therefore, I'm willing to destroy this individual or this friendship over here to get it. And, and be sure their addiction to these misty friends will turn eventually on you as well. If they like to talk to me about that person, I bet they will love to talk to someone else about me. Chuck Swindoll, I've, I've said this quote a dozen times, but I love it, right? The definition of a best friend is someone who knows enough to ruin you and doesn't. A friend knows secrets about you. And they could ruin you if they spun them in a negative light. But they don't, because they're your friends. Let me say, this is an easy trap for adults to fall into in our church, for sure. It's an easy trap for older saints to fall into. It's a very easy trap for younger children to fall into. But I think it's perhaps the most dangerous trap for you guys to fall into. This, this problem always causes problems in our group, too. I see friendships break apart all the time in this group as well. A few questions for you. When you are... When you feel the sense that you are hearing something negative about someone else for no other reason than just to have a little bit of joy together, ask yourself, what is the purpose? Am I a part of the solution to this problem? No. Is this conversation a part of the solution to this problem? No, it is not. And then ask yourself also, do you really love the church? Do you really love this youth group? Do you really love other friends enough to try to stop the conversation? And are you willing to actually put it out on the line to ask that person to stop the conversation and maybe say, you need to go talk to that person about it and not me? Matter of fact, I'm going to make sure you talk to them if you don't I am going to be coming with you to talk to them. And if you don't come with me to talk to that person about them, I'm going to bring someone else to come to you to correct you about it. Do you care enough about the group, the church, your family to do that? To deal honestly with negative tongue-wagging 
friends. You should. That's a dangerous friend. Let's look at another dangerous kind of friend. Beware of the honey-tongued friend. <laughs> Beware of the honey-tongued friend. Proverbs twenty-five sixteen is a very peculiar verse, if you ask me. It's not always apparent why it's in the Bible. It says this, uh, Proverbs fifteen sixteen says this, Have you found honey? Eat only enough for you, lest you have more than your fill and you vomit it. Doesn't seem like that should be in the Word of God, but good to know. Good to know I will avoid and resist any effort by McDonald's to supersize my next honey cup. Because I don't, I don't want to disobey God's Word. No, no, what's the wisdom here? The wisdom principle is too much of a sweet thing can quickly become very bad and can actually turn something into something horrific. Like vomit, which is horrific. You see the connection. Matter of fact, if you look over at 2517, you actually see what the proverb is trying to do here. Notice the parallel. 2517, let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house, lest he have more than his fill of you. Notice, fill of you. Fill of honey, fill of you. Got that? Did you get that parallel? And what does he do? He hates you. Or the wisdom, people quickly grow tired of good things when they are only superficial and they are frequent. Uh, beware of the honey-tongued friend. What is, what is that? Uh, beware of the friend who only says good things that are superficial things. Beware of the, this is the word, flatterer. Beware of the flatterer. Beware of the friend who only has superficial, good things, slightly off things that sound nice, but are not totally true, and you know it, to say about you. They are just pretending to be friends. They just want you to be their friend. That's why they're saying all those nice things. The definition of a flatterer is someone who tells you only what you want to hear, or what they think you want to hear. Uh, Dale Carnegie said this, and I think it's very cutting. Um, Flattering is telling the other person precisely what he thinks about himself. I thought it was great. Why, Why are flatterers so dangerous? Well, here, number one, why they're so dangerous. Number one, you don't need any more flatterers in your life. You don't need one more flatterer in your life. You've got plenty of flatterers to go around. Thank you very much. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is more deceptive than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The next verse talks about how Yahweh knows the heart and he will judge what is truly happening in your heart. You don't want to be more deceived about yourself than you already are. You've already got something between your chests lying to you about you. Yahweh sees the truth and he will judge. Therefore, try to reduce the shock in that day. You don't need any more flatterers in your life. That's why flatterers are dangerous. Number two, flattering lips are insincere. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceptive, though, are the kisses of an enemy. Who is the one that's kissing you all the time? It's someone that's not really your friend who is using you for some sort of tactical gain in your life. Flattering lips also ruin listeners. Proverbs 29, 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. You'll you'll fall into a trap of self-deception. That's what you'll do. You'll be deceived about yourself because you're only going to listen to people that are just telling you things that you already believe about yourself and your heart is already corrupt outside of the Word of God. Notice, you should tell your friends the truth and help them avoid traps and shame. Here's a silly illustration, but you totally get it. If you know your friend is bad at singing, and you do not tell them to not sign up for the talent show, they will fall into a trap. But if you praise them, you're just helping them fall into the trap. 
Maybe you should counsel him and say, maybe you should turn this kind of into a joke routine. (laughs) Flattering lips will ruin the listeners. Flattering lips are also very ultimately self-seeking. Flattering lips are self-seeking. The people who flatter are after friends, but they're not actually after being your friend. The flatterer is one who takes the easiest, cheapest way towards friendship. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't be kind. I'm not saying you should have a friendly disposition to other people. Actually, that could be a quality that goes a long ways. Matter of fact, you could make yourself friendly to people in very easy ways just by having a a friendly look on your face, a friendly smile, a kind greeting, a question or two to ask them. Those are all good things. But I'm saying that the flatterer is, is not motivated by general grace and kindness. The flatterer simply wants you to be their friend. The, the flatterer wants to add you to the list of friends that they have so that everybody likes them, so that they can pursue their progress and their advance through you. There's a, there's a blurry line when I was thinking about flattery. There's a blurry line between flattering, a flattering friend, and a flirting friend. And, and a flattering friend, a friend, I understand that, is mainly someone who uses words, uses words to praise you. A flirting friend might use actions, looks, behaviors to kind of, kind of be a friend to you. But I, I see they're both very similar. Let me just add on a little piece. This isn't necessarily another friend group, but it's just a thought here. I, I would say... Uh, the flattering friendships and the flirting friendships are very similar in their quality. They're both equally self-centered. They're both equally self-focused. It's, 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 uh, a flirting friendship is just seeking to have the fun of a friendship without the commitment of a friendship, without the work of a friendship, without the discipline, without the patience of a friendship. The, the flirting friendship just wants all of the joy with none of the work. The flirting friendship just wants you to give to them something that gives them excitement, but they don't actually want to work for it at all. To be a flirt is one who who doesn't or can't actually pursue a legitimate romantic relationship now, whether it's their age or their situation in life. So they just play with it. And they just pretend like they are without any of the responsibilities, without any of the benefits. I, I, know, I know young men really love the way girls talk to them. And about them, I remember I always had a rush of extra energy when I was on the, you know, Frisbee court and Serena I knew was watching. There was just a little bit more there to my zing, right? A guy really likes a girl that is impressed with him. But if he's not ready for marriage and instead he chooses to flirt just to get her attention, uh, all he's doing is really just saying, hey, I want the joy of this friendship without any of the discipline or any of the work. And that's not really a real friendship. The same thing goes with a girl. Maybe her, her parents have told her she can't date yet, but she knows she can get a lot of the fun of it just by the way she looks or the words she uses or the dress or the praises that she gives to the man. She can get a lot of the fun. But there's a lot of self-centeredness in that. And that's the same kind of heart that the flatterer has. I just want something from you. Beware of the flattering friendship. Uh, beware also of the world-loving friend. Beware of the world-loving friend. We'll end it here tonight. Beware of the world-loving friend. There's this book on my shelf called Worldliness. It's written by Sovereign Grace Ministries. Uh, They define worldliness this way. Worldliness is a love for this fallen world. It's loving the values and the pursuits of the world that stand opposed to God. More specifically, it is to gratify and exalt oneself to the exclusion of God. It rejects God's rule and replaces it with our own. It exalts our own opinions above God's truth. This is worldliness. It's the pursuit of the gratification and the exaltations of this world and, and and these kinds of friends are dangerous 
because of what they're pursuing. They are pursuing themselves. They are ultimately self-centered. And what are they excluding? They're excluding God from themselves. This is what worldliness always does. It says, I want to be on the top And what I feel is true, what I feel is great, what I think is worthy of pursuit, I want to be on the top, and I'm going to exclude God to get to that. It says in James 4.4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. Now, be clear, to be clear here, a worldly friend isn't necessarily an unbeliever. Uh, but of course, all unbelievers are worldly. But to be to be someone who loves the world isn't someone who just loves unbelievers who are created in the image of God. No, but to be someone who loves the world is to love the prizes of the world. It's to value the values of the world. It's to say those things are attractive to me. It is to watch a movie or a TV show or to listen to a song, and your heart of hearts betrays you because you say to yourself. If I could have that, I would be happy. It's to say, what the world prizes, what the world values, I want. And that is the heart that has no place for God's word in it at all. You need to be careful of worldly friends. Two categories of worldliness that are possible here. I would call the first category the irreligious the irreligious kind or the immoral kind. Irreligious and immoral Kind, and you could see this in the um, irreligious or immoral unbeliever, and perhaps this is what you're expecting all the way, but there are some unbelievers that are particularly worldly and particularly immoral. It is the unbeliever who can't uh, get enough, who runs after the pursuits of the world more and more. This is not an unbeliever who's seeking the truth of God, but this is an unbeliever who says, I want everything that the world has to offer me. Turn over to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, 3 says this, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have worked out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all of this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they even malign you. And notice, these people are unbelievers running after the world, and they're shocked that you do not want to do the same as well. Now, now, to be clear here, the Bible actually doesn't say you shouldn't have friendships with unbelievers. It implies that if you are truly pursuing Jesus, you will find that unbelievers don't want to be your friend as much. It, it warns you about hanging out with people that are uh, of bad company that pursue an excess worldliness like this. But it doesn't just flat out say, have no friends with anyone that is an unbeliever. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10, Paul writes this to the Corinthians, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not at all mean the sexually immoral people of this world or with the greedy or with the swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. There is an element that you have to be a friend to reach out to someone for Christ. It, The immoral unbeliever is a mission field, and you have to befriend them in some way. And and you can't expect to not associate at all with them. They just can't be your very best friends, you could say. We are well well aware of that, for sure. Uh, But it's the immoral unbeliever, the person that's just running after the things of the world and cares nothing for any morality. Those are people that are worldly friends, and you need to be guarded against all the same. But there's a more dangerous type of immoral friend, an immoral uh, worldliness. And this would be called the immoral so-called believer, the fake believer, the artificial believer, this person who claims to be a believer, but they live just like the world. This is even more dangerous than the immoral unbeliever, the immoral so-called believer. They are impossible to distinguish in their goals and their values from the world. Matter of fact, all of their friends are unbelievers. 
All of the friends that are given taking in their life are unbelievers. These are the ones that we are to be careful against. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5.11, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or greedy or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. It is even more dangerous to be friends with someone who claims to be a believer but has no concern for God. That is a worldly so-called believer. That's the irreligious kind. But let's, let's think one more thing about worldliness, one more category. I said there's the irreligious, immoral kind of worldliness, but did you know there's another kind of worldliness? There is also the moral and religious kind of worldliness that can be dangerous to you. Colossians 2 20 talks about uh, those who put on the outer shell of religion, uh, but they only do it for appearances sake. They live to look like a believer. And in verse 21, they don't handle, they don't taste, they don't touch. They, they're always saying, look at what I don't do. That shows me that I'm a believer. But in the end, All of this outward stuff has no true inner purchase on their heart and on their life, and they have no real power against the indulgence of the flesh. Jesus also himself, in in Matthew 5 and 6, rebukes those who just pursue outward religion, but nothing of the heart. They're moral on the outside, but they are totally worldly on the inside, because all they're seeking for is praise. This kind of worldliness is also very evangelistic, too. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 23, 15, rebukes them this way. He says to you, uh, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Worldly friends are dangerous friends. And perhaps the more moral they are, the more they look like Christians, the more dangerous they become. Because they are uncomfortable with anyone that will convict them of sin. And they will chip away at you until you become like them. These are dangerous friends. I'm going to ask you something. What do you do if you're convicted that some of your friends might be dangerous? What do you do? And what do you do even more so if you're convicted that you might be a dangerous friend? What do you do? How do you respond? How do you respond tonight? I want you to talk about that in small group. For now, let's pray and ask the Lord's help for that time. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this night that we get to praise you, serve you, seek you, and hear your word. And we pray that we would get strengthened from your word now to have discussion uh, with one another to help one another in truth. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.